scripture chosen for this morning. I shall read them concurrently. The first is from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 7 to 11, and that will be followed from Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. But to each one of us, grace has been given, as Christ apportioned it. Thus, his wife says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to the people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Thank you, David. All right. If you're um, if you're joining us today as a visitor, you're catching us mid stride in a, in, a, in a series that we've we're calling "What Is Church." We're sort of wrapping our heads around this wonderful thing that God has created and 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 that is His. And so, I truly hope that what we do here today makes enough sense to you. If you're catching in or tuning in mid-stride mid um, and, and also at the same time if you're new to church you know this series is somewhat different to what we might normally do in church uh, that for you too this is helpful enough to where you're at in figuring out who God is and what his church is and how it works and in some ways I hope I can 
uh, yeah, through all this, portray something about the, the beauty of, of, of Jesus and, and what he's doing in the, in the world. We've said in the past few weeks that uh, we talked about things like the church is the gathering of God's people. It will ultimately gather in a future time before him. And in this gathering, God speaks to his people. His people speaks to him. The purpose of all that is that they enjoy fellowship with God. Uh, we spoke last week about the imperfections of this gathering and that's not right about it and that will only one day be perfect. So we touched on some of those things. And today I would like to speak about uh, one of the other metaphors that we find for the church in the Bible. The church is described in many different pictures or metaphors. We're only talking about two of them in this series. Today, we're going to talk about the church as the body of Christ. In many places uh, throughout the New Testament, uh, the church is referred to as the body of Christ. And, and it, it says many things to us about the church. But I kind of want to touch on two things about the church, about what the church is that we can learn from this body image, the church as the body of Christ. It says two things to us. Number one, it says something to us about the intimacy that Christians have with Jesus. Right? Intimacy. And secondly, it says something to us about how Jesus gets stuff done on earth and in his church. Okay? The fancy word for that might be agency. Intimacy and agency. They're the two things that we get out of this, this, this image of, of the body of Christ, the church being the body of Christ. There's more things that can be said, but I'll talk about those two things today. Okay? So come with me. Let's, let's talk about intimacy. It's a, it's a strange word, I bet, for many of you when you and you think about your relationship with God as being characterized or described as one with intimacy, right? I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of intimacy and how that might be connected to how you are connected and related to, to Jesus. That's, that's, it's, and I'll say at the outset, this point has some mystery. There's some of this that we haven't figured out yet. And I don't think we will quite figure out. It's worth going there today, but I'll say, you, you, forgive me, this is not going to be a, 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 an awfully clear point that I'm making. But come with me. Here's what I want to show you about intimacy. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16 to 17. I want to read that for us. It's on the screen. This follows a church who is involved in, this is going to sound strange to us, but a lot of the people of this church is involved in uh, prostitution. And this is all part of how it worked in the ancient world. I can go on a lot about that, but 
but a pastor, a guy named Paul, writes to them and, and he addresses this issue in this church and, and here's what he has to say to them. He says, don't do this, don't engage in this because do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, and then he quotes a verse from right in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis. The two will become one flesh. And this is talking about husband and wife. And it's talking about a husband and a wife in a godly marriage shares a certain unity, an intimacy, right? That is very deep, that is very unique. And it's described by way of metaphor as, as, as the two will become one flesh. And we kind of get that between husband and wife makes sense to us. And then comes the striking knockout blow in what he says next. But, whoever is united with Jesus is one with him in spirit. Let that word sink in. Husband and wife, the two will become one flesh. It's talking about the physical unity between a husband and a wife. It's metaphoric language because a husband and a wife don't become one. They still stay separate. Right? But, when it comes to the relationship between a believer and Jesus Christ, we leave the metaphoric world behind in a far greater extent, in a far deeper extent, your spirit, your soul as a believer becomes one with Jesus's, <laughs> if you believe in him. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't really know. I can't, we can't fully, I, I was even thinking about an illustration that I might give to you that, that, that would help us sort of wrap our heads around what this means about who you are, and, and the best I could come up with is there's two things that it does not mean. It does not mean that you are God. So like you and Jesus are the same. There's not that sense of you are him, you know, and, and you therefore become this type of God that's his and his alone. But it also does not mean that you are one with Jesus only insofar as you agree on morals. Like, you know what his will is and you agree with him that his will about how we should live is right and good and you also agree and in that sense you're one. It's not just a mere alignment of, of wills. It's much more than that. In, in some very real way, a Christian or a believer spiritually is being joined together with Jesus in some mysterious way that is beyond our understanding and staggeringly powerful and beautiful. Here's why, if we want to try and understand it in terms of what the Bible has to say about this. It's another place in the Bible where we read this, I have been crucified with Christ I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
try to figure that out. I no longer live. But, but who I am is, is a, new, a new creation. There's a new being in some sense that, 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 that I am. Uh, it's, it's put in, a, in a, another extent, 2 Peter 1 verse 4. Though these he has given us, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You are participating in the divine nature. You're not God, but you're also not your old self. In some way, if, if God's spirit lives in you, you've become something altogether new and different. Right? That's very intimate. <laughs> There's a very deep connection that you have with Jesus in you if you believe in him. Not completely understood. In some ways, a little bit mysterious and undefined. I grant you that. But nevertheless... Very, very deep. Very, very profound. Now let me ask you just a follow-up question. With as little as understanding as we have of this, tell me why you think, what are some of the implications of this? What does it matter? What does it change if this is actually true about a believer? Just yell out at me. What, what does that change in your life and my life? Just go for it. Everything. Yeah, everything. In what way? Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Simply, simply nothing about your life will ever be viewed the same. Changes how you think about stuff. You cannot think about stuff the same way. When you, <laughs> you, you how can you not? Uh, yeah, want to think about what's important, what's not, what's right, what's wrong. Yeah, very much true. Absolutely, thank you. Yeah. Security. Yeah. In in what way? Sure, sure. So Dana's saying a lot of security. Yeah, I mean, if you are one with Jesus in spirit and, and you go with that whole idea of you're, you're born again to be a new being, that can't be undone. <laughs> this is who you are. It, it can't be, <laughs> you can't be unborn again. Do you see how powerful this is? So when the, when the fears come, when the, the self-doubts come, the guilt comes of, of, of all of that stuff, this... this blows that out of the water because this is how deep your transformation is as a human being when you are connected to Jesus. You ought to be going back to this truth every time when, when the lies come your way. Go, no. A choice to a fact. This is, this is, this is, what, yeah. this is what God has done in me. It is a fact. It is a truth that, that I ought to remind myself of because it's abiding. And it's not something that I now need to make a reality and keep current. <laughs> it is current. 
It is what he's done. Yeah, such a great point. Yeah. I've had, sorry, uh, yeah. Nothing that God does not know about me. Yeah, sure, yeah. You can't compartmentalise. <laughs> this is what I show to God and this is what I keep away because, well, if we're that intimate, it's kind of, you know... <laughs> yeah, totally, totally... Um, well, it's total, I guess, you could say, yeah. I, I love them. some of the testimonies coming from people over recent years who have had significant... Um, freedoms achieved in, in their lives, whether it's, um, oh, you know, what we in our sinful ways would consider spectacular things like, like being set free from addictions to, to, to drugs, or whether it's parents who have struggled with just being patient with their kids or, or, or loving a person who didn't deserve their love but they somehow managed to show them grace and love and, and, the, and the stories that come back to me every time is, you know why this was possible? And the way we would articulate that is because of God. Because God is a part of my life. It's another way of saying because I am one with Jesus. <laughs> it... it, it it makes something about me so different from what it ever was before, if it's new in your life, or what it ever could have been otherwise. Because you're participating in the divine nature. There's something about you, something at work in you that is not ordinary, that is not every day, that is in every sense from out of this world and supernatural, if you want to put it in those terms. Right? You're not God, but you are certainly not just looking at a set of rules that you go, yeah, I agree with that. That's, that's, that's what makes me one with it. No, no. In between those two extremes, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. doesn't make you snap perfect. But it does mean you're a child of God's. And it does mean that your growth as a child of God is unstoppable as my own children's physical growth. He will do it. He will transform you, change you, renew you. And that is all because you're part of the body of Christ. Joined to him. You are his own body. That's a very deep connection. Okay? That's intimacy. It, it, it really is arguably worthy of a message in its own right. But I want to move on. And in some ways, I feel like we're now going to come up from this depth <laughs> to a more, more shallow level. Not that it's shallow, but it's not as deep as where we've just been. I want to talk now about... if. if if the church is the body of Christ, what does it mean for, in some ways, how the church works? And to that end, can I ask for a volunteer? I need a volunteer up here. I'm looking... Well, you're seeing a ball and you're going, no, that's not me. <laughs> Anyone, come on up. Gabe, you're the man. It's simple, but I was hoping you would. Uh, 
All right, Gabe. I'm going to ask Gabe a simple favour. Gabe, can you please pick up that ball for me? This is going to be an underwhelming... All right, chuck it back to me. Thanks, Gabe. Simple illustration. Ball is over here. Gabe had to pick it up. I asked him to pick it up. Can you do it again for us, Gabe? How does Gabe pick up the ball? Yes. Yes. In fact, he also had to move his feet. He had to use his hand. had to move his whole body. His ears heard it. His mind conceived of it. And then it directed these limbs to go and pick it up and throw it back to me. Thanks, Gabe. You can grab a seat. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> it's a very simple illustration. But you know what? The way the... Where the Bible portrays then the church on earth is as church's body. If, if, if Jesus wants to get stuff done, he uses his body. <laughs> he doesn't have to. He can, he can work any way he likes. But this is how he chooses to do stuff, right? Do you think about any, any or everything that, that, that of, the, of the purposes of the type of world that God wants According to the Bible, his means for achieving that, the agency through which he does that is, more often than not, his church. Right? He uses his body to do things, uh, to look after itself, to look after others. And to that extent, what Christ has done is he has equipped his body to do what he wants to get done. I love those games that you sometimes play as, as kids, you, you know, where they have their action figures or whatnot, and then they go through all their special abilities, and this one has got this power and that power and that power. I want you to think about that, perhaps. You know, the church is a little bit like that. It, it, is, it is a body, and this body has gifts and abilities to get stuff done. I want to talk about those abilities for a while because I want to pick on some of the things that comes out of that this morning. Stay with me. I'm gonna, this, is, this is to finish off today's message but also to set up next couple of messages that we're going to look at. This is the first reading David gave to us. What sort of gifts did Jesus give his body, the church? First one, the first, there's two types. The first type is, is, is called, the Greek word is charismata, or charismata. You know them if you're used to church as spiritual gifts. Okay? There's uh, quite a number of them. It depends on how you define them. Spiritual gifts are abilities that God has given people within his church that they are good at. Sometimes it's a natural talent that is changed and transformed into something that is used for his purposes. Sometimes it's totally not even connected to a natural talent. It just really comes out of the blue to a person at some point in their Christian journey. Right? And there's uh, quite a number of them. I'm not going to talk about the gifts themselves. That's not the point of, of this morning's message. Um, I want to make another point this morning but it involves this gift of charismata. Can I get, please, 
another group of volunteers because I want to illustrate this. I need people now. I need quite a few people, actually. Yeah, can, can, I, can I get five people to come on up and stand over here, this side for me, just in a sort of a, yeah, come on up. That's good. If you're falling asleep, then this is your chance to... Yeah, all on that side. Thank you. Yeah, great. So this is our church, yeah? Um, and, and, and this is the body. Let's pretend this is a body. that could be all of us here. It could be the worldwide church. And, 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 and God has given these grace gifts to his church. Each and every single member of God's church is given something, right? Could be that Anna's really good at uh, running, Yes, okay, Anna's good at running. She can run really fast. That's her ability. Steve, I know, is really good at administrate, well, music. The reason you can see what goes on here often or, or have these speakers connected is because of Steve. That's Steve's ability. Any other abilities, superpowers that you have? We'll be here all day. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very useful for the next point I'm going to make. I'm going to hold on to that. <laughs> Christine has got some abilities, you know, that she brings to the, to the body. Zara has some unique abilities that she brings to the body. Claire has some unique abilities. And, you know, again, you can go on. You have administration. Some of these, some of these gifts are supposed to uh, help the body doing what it does during worship services. Some of it is in the life of the church as a whole, you know, outside of church services but still done for the church. Others is in the mission of the church as we reach out to... Um, People who don't know Jesus, so nothing directly to do with the church. Mission, worship, and more broadly. And, and so it goes. Now, um, uh, yeah, time for this. Here's one of the problems that often happen in church. And this is what happened in the Corinthian church, right? Um, it's a bit of a side shoot, but it's worth talking about. Churches and Christians start to peg values that which of these abilities are more important than others. And then there becomes this sort of a pecking order about who's most important in church. Right? So we have this thing of you know Steve's superpowers that'll keep us here all day. <laughs> but we start becoming, man, that is really, really important. And, and, and um, Zaria's Hospitality gift, she's the one who would, when someone's near to church, say, Look, come over for lunch. I just want to get to know you, show you some love. In some way, that slips down under and says, that's, that's not really all that important. The really important thing is, is what we do with, with, with Steve's gifts. And what the church has often done is the gifts that are most visible. Right? Those who speak the most and the loudest that are most seen in the life of the community gets platformed as the important ones. And then you have this whole chapter in Corinthians where Paul writes to the... I think, he's, I think there's a hint of sarcasm. You can't judge it by the text, but he says, you know what? What you must get? The body can only ever be the body if every part of it is viewed as equally important for it to actually do what it needs to do. In fact, this is where the sarcasm part comes. If you want to say which parts are most important in a body, <laughs> it's the parts you cover up <laughs> that are never seen. Right? 
They, they arguably are far more important to the, <laughs> the functioning of a healthy body than the ones that are seen. You could live without a hand fairly well. You can't live without a bum very well. There are some critical things in your body that need to take place for it to live that cannot take place. So, so do you want to be the bum? Maybe Anna's a bum. We never see the bum. <laughs> but the bum, yeah, righto. But the bum is extremely important. And you get the point, as soon as a body starts doing this whole thing about who's important and who's not, um, it will start to fail at being the body that Christ wants it to be. You may know whether you're an invisible part or not, but what you may not know is exactly how critical you are to the body of Christ. We cannot be the body. Christ's body cannot do what he seeks to do unless we get this, that every part of the body has a gift. Right? And that gift ought to be used. And we can spend time again about what the gifts are and how to use them in months to come. Today, that's just the important part of this, this body metaphor. Right? Now, are you guys okay to stay here for a few minutes longer? Because I want to need to flesh this out. Let's leave that behind. Move on to the next passage that we've read. Because it gets a bit tricky in this whole thing. There's another gift that Christ gave his body. He didn't just give his body this grace gifts. There's another word used for gifts. It's called domata. Right? Passage in Ephesians. Context is Christ ascended. It's like this victor over over an enemy, and then the victor distributes gifts to others. And so Christ is the victor over sin and death. He descends in verse 11. So Christ himself gave, that's the verb form of this word, domata, which is gift. What did Christ give? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. What's the difference between the previous lists of gifts and this list of gifts? Any ideas? Reg? These are people and their roles. Yeah. Previous list was, uh, actually it comes out in Corinthians really well, in Corinthians 12. God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, prophets, teachers, people, roles, right? Then, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, guidance. Uh, 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers. These are roles, these are people. Do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing. Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? These are gifts. And now, can I ask my second group of people to come on up? Uh, elders, do we have any elders here today? Um, uh, can I? Mark's here. Jeremiah's here. Where's Ryan? Oh, Ryan. <laughs> That's all right. Mark and Jeremiah are elders. They, they sit in the specific roles of this church, your first question would be, oh, where are the apostles, where are the prophets, where are the others? We'll talk about that next time. For now, just roll with me. This is one very useful role in pathway that we have, right? Elders. 
Now, here's one of the problems that the church often fall into. Can you two go and stand in between the crowd there for me? Just wedge yourself anywhere in between. The church go, well, over history that is, and even today, there are no roles in church. Elders, pastors, you could argue, prophets and so forth. The whole church and the whole life of the church needs to be structured around the gifts. And that's it. We do away with roles and people and offices. That's one extreme that churches can go and often do go. Can I ask you, perhaps, feedback to me? What would be one of the problems of this? It's a hard one. What would the church miss out on if we do this? I mean, the, the answer to that question is really, what's the job of elders? <laughs> Why do we have them? And how do they help the church? David. Vision? Yeah, okay, I might tie that to leadership. Sure. Sorry, Reggie? Yeah, yeah leadership. I think leadership. Teaching. A church without the roles in place will become a church that is in the extreme case, unorganised, you could say that's not well-led, and eventually unfaithful. That's what we see. Now, we're going to dig more into that as why we have elders, but I'll say today, that's the problem. That's why the body needs these gifts. Correct. Yeah, unity. You create a lot of unity. Yeah, yeah, totally. Can you two elders come over here for me for a sec, please? Because I just want to reverse the situation and this is where we'll sort of more or less finish for today. What if the church does this? It says, all right, it's really about the roles in church. That's what's very important. In fact, out of the roles, it's really the, the pastor's role that's really important. So can you guys go on your knees, please? <laughs> and in fact, can you all go on your knees as well if you're, if you're able to? This is really what's important. This is really, it's really about, it's not so much about the gift. I mean, they're there. It's really about these roles. And even within these roles, it's really about this role. What's the problem? Why is that a problem? Obviously, why is that a problem? What's not happening here? Yeah, totally. The body is not working. <laughs> There's one part that works. Right? Apart from all, all the, uh, the unwords, this is going to be a body that is unfruitful, unhealthy, and unhappy. Granted, given every single time. And so the, 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 the lesson for us and what we must wrestle with as a church is really coming up with how... how how are all the things that God has gifted his body with, how are they all given their place where this body flourishes, where it grows up, where it's so fruitful, so effective, so faithful, and all in all, enjoying such incredible intimacy with the head. And we're going to look more about that, into that, next week or two and beyond. 
for today, I just want to lay that foundation and say this is our challenge as a church. It's the challenge of every church. Letting the body be the body. Let me pray for us. I'm going to kneel as well and then we'll pray. Jesus, your body is incredible. And we confess in so many ways that we, whether it's due to just our culture, whether it's due to our misunderstanding of the scriptures, we often wrestle with how to be your body in its most beautiful, most effective uh, and fullest form. But I pray for Pathway. I pray for all that we do here, perhaps through Pathway Shed, everywhere, that we would learn, that we would know, that we would follow you, our head, Lord Jesus, about how to be our body, your body. Lord, I pray for deep intimacy shared with you by all the members of your body. Give us a deeper encounter of that. Release your incredible love and power for us to grow as individual members of your body. Thank you that your interest in us is such that you want to make us entirely new. Let us share in the divine nature. Thank you that that's the God who you are and that's what you've come to do. We praise you, we marvel at you and we are grateful for you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you for my volunteers. You can... uh, Grab your seats. Jesus.